0: Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord, or declare all His praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Those are the first three verses of Psalm 106. The first eight verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Monday, August the 16th, 2021. So we're continuing in the life of david we've, we've missed a little bit over the weekend and, and, and they're coming now to a place where in david's uh life and in, in his uh, flight from his son absalom we're we're now coming to a place where it's all going to come to a head and so we get that today and then also we're going to be in the book of acts for the first trial as it were of paul and then also in the gospel according to mark the 11th chapter the Twelfth through the twenty-sixth verses. So, in all these lessons today, the the commonality in all of them is we're coming to a closure on some things. We're coming to a conflict that that's unavoidable, and so the we we we're seeing how to end well how to do things well at the end because there's so many people you know blow their witness at the end uh somehow or another i've seen it happen too many times seeing people who didn't finish well in their ministry or, or their lives and so it's imperative and important for the world that we finish well and so with david he comes to a place called mahanaim and there um he waits and encamps there in the city of mahanaim and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. So this battle is going to take place outside the land because they both have crossed over outside the land. They're, they're in, a, in a place where, where now these Israel uh, the Israelites can have battle with one another. It's one of the saddest things in history to see this. Certainly up to this point, it's a horrible thing to see this civil war coming to a head, if we reflect back on, on our own history, we, we would see how sad it is that we come to a place where we can't um, redress our grievances and move forward together, and so blood was shed. And so here we see that same thing, and Absalom has, because Joab, who had been the commander of the army, is, is with David, um, Absalom now has set Amasa over the army and it happens that Amasa is one of the cousins of Joab himself. And so this is family against family. You've got son against father, and now you've got cousin against cousin leading the armies. It's, it, it, it's inescapable and unavoidable in a civil war that families would be pitted against one another in this. And Jesus says he came to do the same thing. Um, that he came to pit us one against another, what we make of Jesus being the most important thing. Um, So David comes to Mahanaim, and then a group of people from different places all come out, uh, and they bring beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans and lentils, honey and curds and sheep and cheese from the herd. I mean, this is a lavish spread that these men bring to David and his army because you know that they're they're away from home they're away from their sources of of sustenance and the supply lines and so these men become the supply lines for David and his army because they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness and it's important that these these men bring all this to this army because they're getting ready for a battle and they've been cut off from their supply lines they can't go back to Jerusalem without crossing the Jordan River and Absalom and his army have already crossed the Jordan River, and so there's no way back for David, nowhere for him to go to resupply his army here out in the wilderness. And so he mustered the men who were with him and sent over them commanders of thousands and commanders of a hundred. He sent out the army, a third under the command of Joab, a third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who again is another one of... um, uh, not absent, Joab's cousins. <clears throat> in, in fact, that's his brother in that instance. And then one under the command of Etai the Gittite. So this this foreigner is leading part of the army here. And the king said to the men, "I'm going to go with you. I'm going to lead you out." Remember that was the thing when Israel came to David and wanted to ma- wanted him to become king over all the the people. That was exactly what they said. Even before in the time of Saul, you were the one who let us out and the one who let us in. And so here David says, I'm going out with you. But the men said, no, 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 no. We don't want you to go out. If we flee, they won't care about us. In other words, they'll just let us flee if we end up in surrender mode. If half of us die, they won't care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us. And that's not necessarily a statement of value, but it could be. Because David is, after all, the most prominent Israelite king of all time from whom Messiah will come. So they know that he's, David is worth much to, in God's eyes. But more than that, he is the prize, his death is the prize Absalom seeks. And so that's what they're saying is, is that, 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 that they will not give up, David, if you're with us. They'll kill us all. But if you don't go with us, then they're not really going to care very much. It's not that important a battle to him if the main thing, David, you, is not at stake and not at risk. And so he said, they said, therefore, it's better that you send us help from the city of Mahanaim. So the king said, whatever seems best to you, I'll do. What a great leadership statement that is to say, I, I, I had a plan, but what seems best to you, I'll do. I trust you. So the king stood at the side of the gate while all the army marched out by hundreds and thousands. And the king ordered Joab and Abishai and Etai, the leaders of those thirds of the army, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. I mean, David's still being merciful to Absalom, even though Absalom has, has caused all of this and is now bringing about a civil war among the people. And David wants them to be merciful to him and deal gently with him. It's not the way it's going to go down. Because why would you? If you were those guys, why would you do that? Look what he's put you through. Look what he has put this people through. And so David asking to deal gently with him, it seems out of line. But it's David's way of dealing with his sons, right? I mean, he just wouldn't discipline them. And it was the issue with Samuel. It was the issue with Eli. It's, It's unbelievable. It's the same. I mean, it goes all the way back to the first time there was more than one son, right? I mean, you get um, Jacob and Esau, and you see that, that, that there's no disciplining these people, and, that, and, and it causes these conflicts and problems. That's why we have to deal rightly and forthrightly with sin in our midst. So the army went into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim, which is in, in the, the part of the land on the other side of the Jordan and the men of Israel were defeated there by the servants of David and the loss there was great on that day 20,000 men the battle spread over the face of the country and the forest devoured more people that day than the sword so David that in order to get the kingdom back has 22,000 men died that day because of Absalom it's it's unconscionable that, that they would have gone through all this and 22,000 lives would have been lost. And again, this is part of the, the punishment for David's sin. It's part of the consequences for David's sin. <clears throat> on the following day, this is in the gospel, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. He sees in the distance a fig tree that's in leaf, and so he went to see if there was any... Uh, figs on it. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it wasn't the season for figs. And he said to it, "'May no one ever eat from you, fruit from you again.'" And the disciples heard it, and then they went into Jerusalem. And when they go into Jerusalem, they go directly to the temple, and Jesus begins to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. These are the people who are buying merchandise of one sort or another, but, but mostly including sacrificial animals. And I've mentioned this to you before. The best way to ensure that your sacrifice would be acceptable to the priest, if you're coming from somewhere else, would be to buy it right there in the temple because they were sort of pre-approved. So you knew if you bought that one, it wouldn't be rejected. So they set up, especially during these pilgrim feasts like this, they would set up and sell these animals in order that they could get in. That that they would the worshippers' sacrifice would be approved. It, obviously, it's rife with corruption. And then he overturned the tables of the money changers. The people had to come in; they had to pay the temple tax. That was in a different currency, and so there these are these are exchangers, they're money exchangers. In this place, so they're they're making a profit on these people from the country who don't have this money, and now they've got to come in and pay the temple tax with money that they don't possess. So they've got to pay an exchange rate and a fee to do that. So the, the they're preying on the pilgrims, and then the seats of those who sold pigeons. These would have been the to what people who are ripping off the poor, to be honest with you, because the, the pigeons are the, the a poor man's sacrifice, and so these people are are are. are charging exorbitant rates and and ripping off the poor in this instance. And then he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple because there shouldn't be. That's labor being done in the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you've made it a den of robbers where they would have set up would be in the place where the Gentiles could have come and heard the teaching going on in the temple precincts. And they set up all these things in there. Now the Gentiles can't even get close enough to hear what's being taught. So there's no place for the nations to come and even hear and draw near to the Lord. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they, Jesus and the disciples, went out of the city and the next morning, the disciples see this fig tree, and they see that it's withered away to the roots, I mean, all the way down to the ground. And, and Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus apparently made no knowledge, of. I mean, not no, no, no acknowledgment of this he's not the one who pointed it out peter did and and jesus says have faith in god truly i say to you whoever says to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that what he says will come to pass it'll be done for him therefore i tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you've received it and it'll be yours and whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who also is in heaven may forgive your trespasses you know, it's odd that, that the health and wealth crowd latches on to this thing, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it'll be yours, and, and, and acts like it's okay then to, to covet, right? It, it, it's okay to covet. It's okay to, to set your sights on things of earth and pray for those things. Jesus did, a, did this with the fig tree as a sign. It's a sign of the judgment that's getting ready to come on something that looks good from the outside. This thing's in leaf, so it looks good on the outside, but, but inside, no, that's not what it is at all. And we're going to see that in this Acts lesson we're getting ready to look at. But the most important thing here really is this last part. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who also is in heaven, will forgive your trespasses. I mean, the, the health and wealth crowd doesn't talk too much about that. They talk about the other thing. But it's important, more important, in fact, that the Father will forgive our trespasses than that we receive all the stuff that our eyes covet and desire. Um, You've you got to balance those things against one another. You've got to balance Jesus' saying there against coveting. <clears throat> so it, 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 it's amazing. Our eyes will covet anything that, that uh, pleases us. So in this in this Acts passage, Paul is, is you know, the, the, the tribune was, was going to have him flogged in order to get the truth out of him. And then he finds out, well, he's a Roman citizen. You've got to try him first. You can't do that that way. And, and so on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why Paul was being accused by the Jews, the tribune unbound him and commanded the chief priests and the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and sat him before them. Paul looks at the council and he says, brothers, I've lived my whole life before God in all good conscience up to this day. I don't have anything to come here and and repent of. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. You're not even giving me a trial before you do the punishment phase. Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, hey, I didn't know. That he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your peoples. And it's true, he probably didn't know, because during this period of time, they were, they were interchangeable. And so from year to year, it was almost impossible to keep up with who the high priest was. And remember, Paul no longer cared as much as he used to. He was, he was doing ministry among the Gentiles. The high priest really only mattered in, in Jerusalem. And Paul had spent precious little time in Jerusalem, and it would be true that he he really didn't care because what he's saying here is, I did actually sin there. I've lived my life in good conscience up to this day, but but yes, if he's the high priest, then I've sinned because I spoke against the ruler of the people. So Paul's acknowledging the law when he says this. He's doing the very thing that they say he's not doing. But he's acknowledging the power of the law and, and its control, rulership, over him. No matter what he thinks of this man, that man represents God in the same way David felt about Saul, right? Because David and Saul were at odds, but, but David still recognized him as God's man for that moment. So Paul perceived then, he looks around and he sees these guys and he sees, oh, some of you are Sadducees and some of you are Pharisees. You know what? I'm going to exploit that division. Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It's respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And then they look at each other and say, oh, hey, if that's what it is, then. So the Pharisees are upset because the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, neither angels nor spirit. But the Pharisees acknowledge all of these things. And then a great clamor arose. I'm sure the tribune is sitting there looking at this and thinking, what is wrong with these people? What are they fighting about? I don't even know. I mean, there's factions among them. I can't reconcile who's right and wrong here. This is their law, not mine. And, and they don't even agree, and, which is exactly what happened in the trial of Jesus. Remember, the testimony of the witnesses wouldn't agree. And they finally had to, had to agree on something. So they came up with it. Well, he blasphemed against the temple, which didn't make any difference to Pilate at all. Because that's Jewish law. I, you, you, we don't hang people for violations of Jewish law. So then a great clamor arose, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply. Remember, he said it's about the resurrection. They say this, we find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And so what we've just been told is that that the Sadducees don't believe in three basic things. They don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They don't believe in angels, and they don't believe in spirits. And so Paul said, okay, this is about resurrection. That's what this is about. But now they've said, we don't know. Did he get his information that he's been spreading here? Did he get that from a spirit or an angel? So they attacked every single thing here about the Sadducees, well, belief system or lack thereof. And so then the dissension becomes violent, and the tribune's looking and he's afraid Paul's going to be torn to pieces by them. So he commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks. And then the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, "Take courage." For as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Now, I wonder if Paul understood that, right? Did he understand that that meant he was going to be bound in chains and taken to Rome, or did he believe that he was going to Rome and God was going to use him greatly there? Well, he did, but in chains and in imprisonments. And so it, it's, we've got to, to be able to, to look at these things and, and, and say, okay, what's going on around here? But, but this, this idea of finishing well, comes down to persevering it comes down to we we believe we are reformed we believe in the perseverance of the saints that if you are saved you will continue and persevere unto salvation but how much better is it when we we persevere in our own lives when we when we commit ourselves to persevering to the end when we determine that that we are going to work and we're going to serve until the very end and that it's all about him and not about us As long as we set our sights on him and we follow his example, we follow the examples of Stephen, we follow the examples of Paul, we follow the examples of so many who have gone before us and persevered through persecutions to the end, that's the witness of the church is that I will stake my life on this truth and this truth will guide my life and none other.